All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to Dropping the Gloves. Thanks for joining us here. Tim is here. I'm here. I'm up in Northport. Tim, you're still in North Carolina. How's it going that far south, Tim? How's your summer going? <laughs> uh, you know, it's good. It's hot down here. But I, I want to start off before we get into the hockey stuff about something that happened to me yesterday that I'm still kind of like frazzled about. So we're, my neighborhood that I live in, in North Carolina, in the south end, there's a there's a light rail that goes from like one end of the city to the other. It's like a subway, but it's smaller, quieter, and it's above ground. And it's right behind my building. And so on either side of it, for like a mile and a half, there's like a, a paved trail. People walk their dogs, exercise, ride their bikes. There's um those rental lime scooters that you can rent out like by the minute and okay. w- with your app and everything. It's very busy. It's a lot of fun. And so I'm walking my dog, I don't know, four o'clock yesterday, just around the block. We're walking on that, the trail, the rail trail, they call it. And there's a people like all day long, it's just busy. There's a family ahead of me with a little girl and there's like five or six adults and the girl's on a little tricycle. And so they're kind of like crowding. There's a big group and they're crowding around taking pictures of this little girl. And so, and they're not really moving. So I have my dog, Levi, and I, we walk around them. So we're kind of going so they're on the right. I'm passing them. And I see like this. I look behind me. There's no one right there. I see a guy in a scooter. He's he's a block or two down. I'm like, OK, I'm just going to walk quickly behind him and go back into to the right. And as I do it, the scooter guy in the scooter is still coming full speed like he is not slowing down. And he's uh in a business. He's a business guy like in a suit coming from the downtown. So he's driving home from work on the scooter. And as he gets closer, he doesn't slow down. He doesn't, there's like two feet to the left of me. There's plenty of room for him to get by. He keeps on his straight path and slams into my shoulder. No way. Yeah. And just, and like, not like, it was just like, almost like a, like a hockey check, just boom. And, but neither of us, like, I just kind of twisted and, and then, and I looked over my shoulder at him as he, cause he's, he's still going, he's going full speed. And I just give him like a glare and he gives me a glare. He turns around and I was like, okay. I was like, what a jerk, whatever. And the people next to me, this crowd that I was passing, all looked at me like, are you okay? Like, they didn't say anything, but it was like, what the heck was that? And I was like, I gave him a shrug and kept walking. And whatever, don't think anything of it. Just like, okay, that guy was a jerk or whatever. Keep walking there 10, 20 feet. Out of my peripheral, he comes in. He came back. He came back on the scooter still. And he's got. I got my headphone and he starts talking. I'm like, oh, I take it out. And he, I was like, what? And I'm thinking, okay, he came back to apologize. He goes, "Uh, what's up, man? You don't watch where you're going? And I was like, I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you didn't see me coming. And I just like, I looked at him for a minute and he starts talking about how I need to stay out of his way. And I'm not going to swear, but I go, are you out of your effing mind? And he was like, he was like, he's like, there's, there's too many people here. Like you can't, this is the man on an electric scooter going full speed and he had a pedestrian and he's mad at me about it. I'm just so walking. a scooter, is it one of those, um, so he's like standing on a skateboard and it's got the, the peg in the front and he's holding on to it? Yep. He's got a backpack okay. on, coming home from work. And um, and he was, I was like, and he just starts going on and on about trying to tell me like where not to walk and 
it's a crowd of people. You don't go full speed. Like you, you kind of navigate through people do it all the time. Like there's people walking their bike. There's groups of people running. Yeah. If you're on a, if you're on a, something faster, you kind of have to slow down and wiggle through them. And then you, it was nuts. And so he's trying to talk to me and I was like, dude, I'm, you're out of your mind. I'm not, I'm not talking to you. Like, see you later. And I just kept walking. And I think he like, he said something again, but I put my headphones back in and just didn't turn around again. And then as I was sort of like, uh, turn the corner, I could look over my shoulder and he's riding, but he's still looking back at me. And I was like, calm myself down. It's one of those situations where like the next hour you're like, Oh, I wish I said this or did that or handled it better. But the whole thing was very shocking. I couldn't believe he was mad at me for that. So what is this guy? What is this guy's measurements? <laughs> uh, probably a little shorter than me, like slim build. I mean, maybe athletic, but he wasn't like huge or anything. Older? Yeah, maybe like yeah, late thirties. Um, I'm I'm guessing like the way that he reacted. I'm like, and this is a banking city. It's known as like a finance city. A lot of like uh, investors and bankers and people that have like high intensity jobs. I'm bet. He had a bad day or his portfolio is down like and that just like set him over the edge or something like that. You know, like it was way out of proportion the way that he was talking and he yeah. was the one who hit me. And uh, yeah, and like all night long last night, I'm like reliving in my mind, just saying cooler things back to him. But yeah, it was pretty funny. That's um, people are so aggressive. It's amazing. So strange. Yeah. I've had and, people do that when I'm driving. They'll like come up beside me and just glare at you for no good reason. Just because I'm trying to drive slower now. People mm. don't like it in Traverse City. So they'll come up and glare at you and like, oh, you got to drive faster. And it's just like, what are we doing here? Why is everyone so angry? It, it's a, it's amazing. This the People are just so angry all the time. So I just, I just ignore them. But if they persist, I just, I get right to the point. I'm like, we can pull over and take care of this. <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to do this back and forth where we just go back and forth. So I'm like, there's a parking lot right there. Shout, like, do you want, should we or no? Okay. I'll see you later. Let's go on our way. Like, we're not going to make our lives any better by sitting here yelling at each other. I don't want to deal with this, but if you want to persist, I will finish this and we can just be, go on our ways. The hospital's that way. I'll go to the grocery store and we can just be done. So yeah, good for you, Tim. Uh, Turn the shoulder. Turn the cheek. That's good. I like that. And wild yeah. stuff. North Carolina. Who would have thought? Crazy. Yeah, and usually people down here are much more like friendly and and nice to strangers than they are in the New England or Northeast or even even Michigan. So it was very very unsurprising. Very surprising. You, you almost threw your first closed fist punch. That would have been incredible. That would have been a podcast. That would have been epic. What yeah. not not as epic as the Gudis interview. We got some good feedback, Tim, on the Radko Gudis interview. I was, I didn't sure how it went. Uh, I wasn't sure how it went because he's just, you know, European, very <laughs> just honest, but a current player, he's not going to tell you. It's so funny when we do these interviews, everybody, because the, the player we're interviewing will come on early and they'll stay late. So we'll talk a little bit beforehand. We'll catch up if I know him. If I don't know him, we'll do our introductions and we'll, and we'll have a nice five-minute conversation. Then when we stop recording... We'll have an even better conversation because we've already gone through the 40 minute podcast. And then I'll say some stuff like, yeah, yeah, that guy's brutal or this and that you guys will be this. And they'll be completely honest. And all the stuff we talk about before and after Tim and I always say that was fantastic. Like, I wish that was on the podcast, but we can't share it because, you know, it's their personal feelings and they're, they don't want to air their dirty laundry. So after we ended the podcast, it was, it was great. He started giving us, you know, his, his opinions on the trade, this, the, the Florida Panthers as a whole, how they're going to be this year. And it was great, but I think we got positive feedback on a whole for the whole episode. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I didn't think it was that great. I mean, they're all good and they're all like insightful and they have great moments. So, but I was like, that wasn't one of our stronger ones. And we got a couple of comments, like said it was one of the best ones we ever did, if not the best or top three. And I thought that was really surprising. So I have to go back and listen again, but I'm glad people enjoyed it. He's a, he's a cool guy. Nice guy. It's always interesting thinking about just like, the guys that you must have hated at different points, and now you just see him in a different light. Could not stand him. Honestly, couldn't stand him. Tried to fight him all the time. Never, and rightfully so, he never said yes because I was in a completely like if he's rolling around at 215, I weighed him by 50 pounds, you know? So he had no business fighting me, but goodness gracious, couldn't stand the guy. Now I like him. Seems like a pretty nice guy. He got four kids. Really like that. 
really like it's funny to see the reaction whenever i tell them i have seven they're always just like no you're kidding me you're kidding me because four is a lot tim that's like people look at you sideways you get four kids i was at the farmer's market today and i was bombing around with six of them danielle was with the baby she was coming back from church or whatever she might have been feeding in the car um i got like people are so rude they go are all these yours like no they're not no they can't be they don't look they're not all yours like yeah and same mom and everything like isn't it amazing like people just assume like i different marriage i picked one up or they're friends or they're just i'm like no they're all mine and we all they have the same mom and we're shocker we're married you know it's just like it's so foreign to think that i am married and i have seven kids to the same woman whereas like 30 years ago that would have been the norm but it's just things are different now so everyone just assumes it's like well you must have gotten divorced and those are your old marriage and that's she brought some kids in it's like no they're all mine so uh, i don't know but good yes radko good is four kids what were we gonna say tim no it's just funny like you can think that when you walk by someone in the hallway or a building whatever but like why would they say it out loud that's that's the strange rude part like you said like talking to a stranger about his family and children as if it's any of your their business it's just it's bizarre oh people are so they're bold so bold they go you poor man you right in front of my kids i'm like no i'm actually pretty pretty blessed pretty lucky here thank you it's just amazing and like just and they think it's perfectly fine I'm like all right and you just you're friendly and you're like, yeah they're all mine you know what they're fantastic kids so we're very happy but what was the one that the guy said to you at costco like last year do you remember yeah that? he goes uh you know there's a, a way to prevent that isn't there <laughs> yeah i'm like yeah yeah i got I, and i go i, I should have said i guess i'm really good at it that's why we keep having kids. But uh, that's someone told me to say that whenever someone says, you know, there's a, why do you, there's a way to stop that. And I go, I guess I'm really good at it then. I don't know. But anyway, so it's a family friendly show. We got some news to catch up on. We've been having fun with the interviews, with the McDonough's, with the Goodises, with all this other stuff. Things have been happening, Tim, in the hockey world. Not minor things, not major things, kind of, but consequential things. The biggest unrestricted free agent on the market has signed. Finally. People have been waited, waiting around. What is he going to do? Where is he going to go? But finally, 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 Phil Kessel has made his decision. <laughs> oh, you want me to talk about Kadri? You got me there. You got me. I did. Nazim Kadri finally settled for months. I thought it was almost certain he was going back to Colorado. I just thought the longer this plays out, the better the chance are he's going back to Colorado. Just because why, why wouldn't you sign early? Why wouldn't you just find a team and go boom, boom, boom? It just made sense to me. It's like, okay, he's still shopping, but Colorado's always there. Well, he pulled a fast one. He wasn't signing with the Islanders like everybody thought. He wasn't going back to Colorado like everybody thought. He signed with the Calgary Flames, a team that he nixed to trade to when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that he did not want to go to. He finally gave in. He said, I'm going to sign there seven years, $7 million. That's a small, that's not a small number. It's still a very big number. He's making $49 million over seven years. That's a big life-changing, life-altering number. But for Nazim Kadri going into free agency, having a career year, winning a Stanley Cup, being a very huge cog with that Colorado Avalanche team, what number do you think he was expecting, Tim, going into free agency? I bet he was looking for nine, nine and change. And so I wonder if it was a term or what. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, like you said, it's not a small number. It's not, like, way below what I would have thought. But it's probably about what he's worth, which is strange. You never see that with an unrestricted free agent entering his prime, coming off a Stanley Cup contender. You never see a guy like that get it paid exactly what he's worth. And I think the GMs knew that. I think this was a red herring. When you look at Kadri's numbers from his first nine years in the league, from 2013 to 2021, he never produced more than 61 points in an 82-game schedule, which is not a lot of points for a first-round, first-line player. 61 points, that's not cutting it. Then all of a sudden last year, he went bonkers, and if he were to play a full season, he's on pace for 100 points. Now, which cadre are you getting? Are you getting the guy who's you know good for 50 to 60 points, consistently good on the PK, good in the faceoff dot, just, just a hard-nosed player? Or are you getting the guy who is putting up 100 points a season, who brings all those other intangibles along with them, and is just a complete player? Very similar to a Matthew Kachuk. 
But I think Matthew's younger, he's faster, he's more aggressive, but Kadri's right there. Which player are you getting? So I think he sold himself as a Matthew Kachuk type player. He's like, look, I'm a leader in the room. I finish every check. I'm in the middle of every scrum. I am a thorn in my, my opponent's side. But guess what? I also put up 100 points. I'm an offensively gifted player. And that's what he sold himself to all these teams, all these GMs. He went hard on this. I just won a Stanley Cup. I was the piece that the Avalanche need, and now we got it. Now I got a ring on my finger, and I want to get paid for that. And all the GMs, they're thinking, and they said, huh, I don't know. He's 32. He, he's not a young buck anymore. Kadri wanted a seven, eight-year deal. He won $9 million. And I think the GMs passed. Smart. Very smart by the Islanders GM, Lou Lamorello. Very smart by all these other guys not in Philly. I don't know who else was in on Kadri, but everybody passed. And they said, it's too much. It's too much. So we circled back with Calgary, said, what are you guys going to give me? You lost Kachuk. You lost Gaudreau. You brought in Huberto. I will fill that Kachuk piece. And they smartly, wisely didn't bite at the $9 million. And they still gave him seven, but they gave him seven years. That's a long term for a guy who's turning 32 in October. This brings him to 38, 39. The contract looks nice now if he produces the same way he did last year for the next two or three years. But it's going to get old fast. He, he, he isn't going to be the same player that he is now when he's 35, 36, 37, 38. So this one will age very, very badly. But initially... For this year and the next two years, I think this is a great deal for Calgary. I think you're getting a guy who you can put in on that first line if you want. You can put him in on the second line if you want. He does a little bit of everything, and he's still playing at a high level. And you get him for $7 million, which is great. The cap's going to go up in a few years. Rumors are it's going to be clipping 90 maybe $100 million. We'll see how that goes once the COVID fog lifts and everything kicks back into play. But just initially, Tim. Could Calgary have had a better of an offseason based on what they were facing? Their captain doesn't want to come back. Their MVP candidate doesn't want to come back. He shuns you to go to Columbus for less money. Two massive, massive just black eyes on the franchise. All of a sudden, you flip this. You bring in a Jonathan Huberto, who is as good, if not better, than a Johnny Gaudreau. You get a first-round draft pick, and now you sign as Nazim Kadri. And then you bring in a Mackenzie Wiegar too with that Florida trade, who was a very good defenseman, adding to an already solid decor there in Calgary. Is Brad traveling coming out looking like smelling like roses after he just fell in the, the poop house? Because this is what what do you think of this whole situation in Calgary going on? Yeah, I mean, like you said, given where they where they were, having that like a really tough loss against the Oilers, and then you kind of think, okay, their two best players want out. This team is gonna spiral. And then they go and pull off that trade. We're getting a superstar who wants to leave, who's asking for a trade and managing to bring in a Huberdeau and Wegar and then signing both of them. I don't know. Has Wegar signed yet? I know Huberdeau did. No, um, he hasn't signed long-term, but he's he's locked up for this year. Okay, yeah. And then, and then bringing in the best UFA on the market, which, yeah, maybe his numbers were a little bit inflated coming off, you know, a, a record year with the best team in the league. You got to think that playing with McCarr and McKinnon on that power play, mm-hmm. like, yeah, maybe he's not, 87 and 60 games type of, of talent, but he's very good. And he's been very good for a long time. He's also a guy that has a track record record of, of uh, performing in the playoffs when he's not being suspended or hurt, which has been an issue, but he seemed to have kicked that as well. You've seen him mature the last couple of years. So yeah, there's both great teams. I think Calgary is, is made a really good uh, situation out of a tough one. Are they better last year than last year? Do you think, would you rather have, for this coming season, would you rather have Kadri and Huberdeau or Kachuk and Gaudreau? Well, it's interesting. Their starting goaltender, Jacob Markstrom, really made an interesting comment when he was being interviewed after all these trades. He, he outright said, we're a better team than last year, which is a pretty bold thing to say. When well, Guna said the same thing last week, the other day. Right. Yeah, and both of the and what are they going to say? Are they going to say we're a worse team? Right. I don't expect them to say that, but I think a politically correct answer, not ruffling any feathers, would be it, it, we have to wait to see. We don't know how these guys are going to fit in, but we have a good team. We're excited to get started with the season. For Markstrom to outright say, yeah, we're better than last year, that's a pretty bold take. And I think he's right. I really do. I think going into this playoffs, when you look at the teams that they're going to face in that Pacific division, in that Western conference, yes, Kudrow and Kachuk were good. I think Huberto was better than both of those players. 
I don't think he has gotten the accolades that he deserves. Jonathan Huberto is a very high-end grade-A talent. And I think Nazim Kadri will continue this little blip he had on the radar last year. You put him with good players, if you put him with Lindholm, if you put him with Huberto, this guy's going to light it up. He's a good player. And then the big addition, the Wegar, it gives you the flexibility to maybe move a guy in the back end. You have six solid, solid NHL-caliber defensemen patrolling that back end. I, I think they are – I do think they're a better team this year. You lost two high-end players, you bring in three. Simple addition means you're doing pretty well. And then it begs the question, are they the best team in the Pacific Division? We know Vegas is going to retool. They're going to be back. Everybody will be healthy. They'll be a better team. Anaheim added Klingberg. L.A., eh, San Jose, eh, Seattle, adding some pieces. They brought in Bjorkstrand, but they're, they're still trying to figure things out. The Vancouver Canucks, massive question marks surrounding that whole franchise. We talked to J.T. Miller. We don't know if he's even going to be wearing a Canucks jersey at the start of the season. He doesn't know. But they have the talent. They have the potential. Interprovincial rival, Edmonton Oilers. I think they have killed this offseason. Looking at this division, Tim, I said it was the dumpster fire of the NHL last year. Two teams have drastically improved in my eyes. Calgary has gotten better. Edmonton, I believe, has gotten a lot better in this offseason. Who's going to win this division? Last year, it was clear-cut Vegas is going to take it. They faltered. Who do you see taking this division this year? And is it is it still the redheaded stepchild of the NHL? Uh, yeah, maybe compared to other divisions, but I think it's stronger than you personally give it credit for. And I still think that, until proven otherwise, the Oilers are still the, the cream of the crop here. The way that they... They beat the Flames in the playoffs last year. When you have that talent up front, when you bring in those secondary pieces, like they brought back Evander Kane, they've got these big contracts lined up. Um, there's not a lot of like wiggle room or mobility they have. Like they have a team they have at this point. They, there's nothing they're going to be able to do much like the deadline or that sort of thing. I know there's some whispers of some major trades potentially in the talks. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But I think until until we've proven otherwise, this is still the best team in the division. You think Edmonton is? Yes. I think Calgary is right now. At this point today, I think if you line them up, you play seven games, I think Calgary wins that series in six or seven. I just think they have more depth on the back end. I think their goaltender is still better in Markstrom, even though they brought in Campbell. He's a really good goaltender. I like Jack Campbell. I think Markstrom is better. I think Edmonton, as everybody knows, they have the higher-end talent, but I do think Calgary is overall top to bottom a better team, but it wouldn't surprise me if Edmonton wins in seven. This is going to be a great rivalry this year, just because they're so evenly matched. Now the off season isn't over yet. We've heard rumblings of, of a trade to be made. Let's get to that right now. Patrick Kane, the elephant in the room. He wants out of Chicago. He wants out in a bad way. He, he's made it known. I'm sure he's talked to the GM there in Chicago. I'm sure his agents having conversations with them and other teams around the league. He wants out. He has a very small list of teams that he wants to go to. Rumors are flying around that Toronto's on that list. Toronto's going to get him. Same with the Edmonton Oilers. What are you hearing, Tim? You're an insider for both of these teams. You get around to Canada. You're an insider for Vancouver. And now Oilers in Toronto are no-brainers. You're locked in with those markets. Where do you think Patty Kane's going to go? And which team will he have a bigger impact on, more importantly? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, Patrick Kane's name has been floated around, even going back to this most recent trade deadline where any team that's in contention, I'm sure, was making that phone call. I'm sure the asking price was high, and rightfully so. Now he's entering a contract season. He's got one more year. I think he's making $10 million. Um, And so you would expect that if they move him, they would probably have to eat some of that salary cap for any contending team to fit him under their, their own salary cap. As far as these two teams, like th- those are the two front runners in terms of the rumors and the reports, rumblings. Who knows how much credibility there is to it? But if guys like Frank and, and Daily Faceoff are reporting on it, there's probably something there. But the big question you got to ask is like, what do you, what piece do you have to move in order to bring him in? Like, are are the Maple Leafs? So, for example, and assuming they they, they want to sign him. If you can sign Patrick Kane for three, four years, whatever, would you move a Nylander or a Marner and able to bring him in? You get a little bit better, even though you're getting eight, seven, nine, whatever years older. Like, is that worth it at that point? And same, you could say the same thing for the Oilers. I don't know who's making that deal, but I don't know how you, you make it work without moving a piece like that, not just for value, but like cap space, like I said. 
And like they would love to move it to Tavares in order to bring Patrick Kane in, but no one's taking that contract either. So that's kind of the it's hard to see. You look at the, the cap friendly and the math, it's hard to see how either of those teams could make that deal work. With a Patrick Kane, you make it work. You you find a way, I, I, and I think the way you make it work, if you're one of those two teams, Edmonton or Toronto, you package together um a lower end player who who makes one or two million dollars, a first round draft pick. And you get Chicago to eat $8 million of Patrick Kane's salary. And so you're getting Patrick Kane coming to your team for one year, and he only makes like a million bucks. Because right now, Patty Kane pulls in, like you said, $10 million. So you you make this work, and this is your guy. This is the guy who will put your team over that hump. Like Patrick Kane is still an elite player, even though he's 33 years old, he's got a lot of miles on him. He will instantly, unless he's going to Edmonton, he will be your best player. If he goes to Toronto, he's Toronto's best player. He's better than Austin Matthews, in my mind. I think he does more. Austin Matthews is a super, superstar. Don't get me wrong. The guy is unbelievable. I think Paddy Kane is better than he is. At this point, in his he's still out of this world. He put up points the last two or three years playing with essentially nobody. He had, he had line mates shifting all over the place. Oh, Debrinket is fantastic. Let's see what Debrinket does in Ottawa this year. Let's just pump the brakes on that. Alex is a good player. We've, we've gotten this conversation before. I'd be surprised if he puts up 25 goals in Ottawa. Let's just leave it at that. 25? 25. Oh. Tim, okay. Patty Kane is a, is a premier player. He made Brandon Saad better. He made Alex Debrinket better. Dylan Strome better. Kubelik better. All these players, Paddy Kane took him along for the ride and he, he gifts them goals every single game. You put him in Toronto, it's 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 amazing what he'll do. Put him with those snipers. I think the biggest impact he has if he goes to one of those teams, if he goes to Edmonton, you can mark them in for a Stanley Cup Finals. That's, that's how big of an impact he will make at Edmonton. Because when you look at Edmonton's lineup right now, their defense is the weakest part of their team. Everybody knows that. They're suspect. When you have when you're penciling in Cody CC and Darnell Nurse as your one-two, that's not good. So we all know that they're going to give up three, four goals a game. When you can roll out a lineup, just say we get Patty Kane, maybe we give up a Ryan McLeod, or we have to give up a, a Ryan or a Fogel or a Devin Shore or even a Poviari. I'd be okay with giving up any of those guys with a first rounder, and then Chicago eats some cap space. If your second line, assuming the first line's Hyman, McDavid, and Vander Kane, which they were great in the playoffs and they clicked right away and they were just Everything worked with that line. So you don't want to touch that line. If your second line is Dreinsidel, Evander Kane, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, that's insane. Or excuse me, Patrick Kane. Did I say Vander? Patrick Kane. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. That would be absolutely bonkers if that's your second line. That would be 85% of the league's first line by far. So if you can roll out those two lines and still have the luxury of having a Kaylor Yamamoto playing on the third line with the Warren Fogo, Matias Janmark, that's a really good third line. Then you have your checking line with Derek Ryan, Devin Shore, or Ryan McLeod, or Matias Janmark, the, those sorts of players. That's a dangerous lineup. I don't care who your defense is. If you can roll out that group of forwards, you're going to be pressuring, pressuring, pressuring every single night. You're going to put up six goals. You're, you're going to make the Florida Panthers last year look like they don't know how to score goals. That's that's so dangerous. So for me, the biggest impact, he makes the Edmonton Oilers so incredibly dangerous. If he goes to Toronto, he will improve them. I don't think he makes them as good as he makes the Edmonton Oilers. You know what I mean? Because Toronto yeah, already has difference. two really, really strong top two lines. I think he does bump them up a little bit. But the difference between him and a Nylander or him and Tavares or him and these players isn't as great as between him and a Yamamoto. Like he's light years better than Yamamoto. So I don't, it's pretty, sorry. My kids are just interrupting girls. What do you want? Eleanor wants to come in. Sorry, everybody. It's, it's, I'm not at my office today. I'm in, I'm at the cottage up in Northport. So they're here, but I'm excited to see, do you think Kane gets traded Tim before the start of the season? Or is this going to be a deadline deal? Uh, Yeah. I don't think he gets traded before the start of the season. They're just teams that tend to be so much just careful and they want to see what happens. And like you said, Evander, for Patrick Kane, you go out and make it work. So maybe they're a little more aggressive than they usually are, but I, these things tend not to be as exciting as we think they're going to be. So I think they people, I think the Blackhawks hold the card. They're going to wait and see until the perfect deal comes along. And gosh, 
I, I hope he gets moved because it's so the idea of him playing with Matthews, even for two months after the playoff deadline or the trade deadline or McDavid or one of these other teams is just so much fun to think about. So the other part thing is, where does he want to be? Because his contract is expiring. Does he want to go to Buffalo to no. be at his hometown team? Does he want to go to a contender? He's got three cups. Like he doesn't need to go chase the ring necessarily. 33 years old. He's got still some big years left in him. What, is, what does he want out of all this? And where do you think yeah. he wants to go? Well, he's got a full no move clause. So he controls exactly where he goes. Like he can, he can accept or nix any trade out there. I don't, I don't think he goes to a Buffalo. I don't think he goes to a non-contender. Patty wants to win. He's a competitor. He wants to go to somewhere where he knows he can play in the playoffs, win a Stanley Cup. So for anybody who's thinking, well, he's going to go and enjoy it in Arizona. He's going to go to California. He's going to go to Buffalo. No, maybe next year when he can cash in and really sign a huge contract if he wants to, you know, play away his last remaining years in Buffalo. I, I don't see that happening. I think he's going to want to go to a contender and he's going to want to go to a big market. Patty has a flair for the dramatics. He wants to play. He wants to go deep in the playoffs. So he's going to go to a team that already has Stanley Cup aspirations. And there's very few of those teams. And he will he will nix every other trade. He's not going to do Chicago a favor. Chicago has not done him any favors in the last five years. They have done nothing but gut this team every single year. Last year, they did a little blip and they signed Flurry. They brought in some Seth Jones. Didn't work out. But before that, you have to remember, they were hemorrhaging players left and right. They did nothing to help Kane. They did nothing nothing to help Taves. So he is going to go somewhere where he feels comfortable. And if I'm the GM, Kyle Davidson in Chicago, is he the GM or is he the coach? I can't remember. Davidson's He's the GM. GM. Yeah. I'm trading right now. I, I think his value is as high as it's going to be right now. Because any team acquiring Kane at the deadline knows it'll be for two months. He's not going to re-sign a deal. He's going to go into free agency and he's going to field some offers and play the field. His value is the highest right now. Same with JT Miller. Trade these guys right now. I don't think the deals will get any sweeter the longer you make because teams want to have a full season with these guys. They want to get to know these guys and just to have them acclimated with their team. So I don't know why GMs take that risk and say, we're going to wait until the trade deadline and we're going to see. What if what if there's no offers? What if there's no money to go around? What if I just don't like that? Cash in now. Trade them now. Get a first rounder now. Look what Sean Monahan just went for. Calgary needed to dump a salary in order to sign Kadri. They traded Sean Monahan, but they had to give up a first rounder with him. It's a huge win. You're dumping Sean Monahan, who still has some value, and you package a first rounder with it. It, it was it was a masterclass by Ottawa getting Sean Monahan. Now they get another first rounder, and then you can flip Sean Monahan at the deadline if you need be. So, man, like it, people are giving away first rounders left and right. So if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you got two first rounders from the Hegel trade. Ship Patrick Kane out. Ship him out. Because we all know what the real deal is here. It's for the Connor Bernard sweepstakes. We haven't seen anything like this since the Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid sweepstakes back in 2000. I don't know what it was, 13 or whatever. 15. Yeah. 15. People were tanking. The Sabres were tanking. The Oilers were tanking. Teams were actively trading away all their players to try to get those two guys. We're seeing it again right now. Chicago is in full-fledged tank mode, and they want Connor Bedard. Is there any other teams, Tim, that you can see who are even close to being as bad as the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be this year? Because you have to assume they're losing Kane. They brought in next to nobody. Yes, they brought in some decent pieces who they'll flip at the deadline, but who else is there that as bad as are going to be the Chicago Blackhawks? Yeah, it's the usual suspects. You got the Arizona Coyotes, which, hey, do you see their, uh, their new East Coast League oh. affiliate? He's playing in a, an arena three times the size of theirs. It's in, every time they do a release, the name of the arena is Mullet Arena. Yeah, it's a, a big, a big owner or donor, excuse me, for the Arizona State University. They're a complete joke. Yeah, a complete joke. Yeah, when your East Coast team has a better, larger rink than your NHL team, it's just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Don't don't quote me, but. This whole arena they want to get built in Tempe will, ne- will never happen. It'll never come to fruition. I know people keep saying, oh, we got the, we bought the land. We're going to negotiate with this and that. Just wait. It'll keep getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. Next thing you know, they'll be playing at ASU for four years, and maybe there will be a shovel in the ground. But that doesn't mean the rink's going to get done. They need to get this team out of Arizona. Yesterday, this, this team has done nothing but hemorrhage money. 
They're just an eyesore on escrow every single year. When you look at the escrow numbers, some teams lose money. Nashville always loses money. Carolina is starting to make some lately. These teams in the South, they don't do very well. And then there's Arizona. They lose so much money every single year. It's insane how much money they lose. So get them out of Arizona. Escrow won't be at 20%. It'll be at 15%. That's a t- The players don't want to have a team there. But anyways, go ahead. Talking about yes. Arizona. The Coyotes will be among the the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Obviously, the Kraken. Then you got teams that I, we think are on the up and up, but sometimes they still disappoint. The Flyers, the Devils, the Sabers. Oh, Flyers. You want those teams like you. You kind of think they're a tier above the bottom, bottom, bottom teams, but every year, two or three of these guys are still sucked back down. So I don't know. There could be a surprise team. The, the Islanders take that next step, or are they going to be a bottom dwelling team again too? They'll be a know. bottom dweller. But listen, based on these teams, let's let's talk about like Chicago, Arizona, Seattle, Islanders, Devils. These teams were all bad last year. Where is the best spot for a Bedard? We saw how McDavid transformed Edmonton. They were they struggled, even though they had Yakupov, they had Nugent Hopkins, they had Taylor Hall. They still stunk. McDavid has made them relevant again. We saw how Ovi landed in Washington, completely transformed the franchise. Same thing with Crosby and Pittsburgh. They were looking to move the team in Pittsburgh. Crosby came in, transformed everything. Lemieux was an owner. He said, we're not going anywhere. Next thing you know, they're one of the most successful franchises in all of the NHL now. Do you see him going to a spot and doing that to a franchise? And if so, where where is the best spot for him, Tim, to go to? I mean, we're... I- there's so many answers to that question. Like which team could use him the most or which, where does he want to go? And where does Bettman want him to go? Like, will you have like the, the, the freezing cold, like index card and the hidden the hat. So they know which one to pick like that whole thing. So I don't know. I go, what are you, how would you answer that? If you're Gary Bettman and you want to grow the game, where do you want Connor Bedard to go? Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Even though they've already had their, their run, like, that's a big city team. Like that's that's an original six franchise. When they're when they're a good team, when they're better, when they're competitive, when they have superstars, the league is better off for it. But then the problem is nothing really changes. The bad teams are still bad. The irrevel- irrelevant cities are still irrelevant. And so I don't know which which kind of angle do you take with that? I think I, I I want him to go. If I'm Gary Batman, I want him in Seattle. Just put a franchise there. Just got Shane Wright, who everybody thought was going to be the number one overall pick. Leading up yep. to the draft, he fell to their lap at number three. Four, I think, I think. Four, yeah. four, five, whatever it was. They got Shane Wright. I want him to go to Seattle. I want to make that team relevant. I want them to win some games. I want people to fall in love with the Seattle Kraken. Me, personally, as a fan, I want him to go to a team that's been struggling. I want him to go to the Buffalo Sabres. The Jack Eichel experiment didn't work. They have some good young players. They got Owen Powers, Rasmus Dahlin. They got some good forwards who are ready to take that next step. Imagine interjecting a Connor Bedard, a small, fast, dynamic forward to play with those guys. I think he would be great in Buffalo. Buffalo is a fan base starving for success. You talk about that with the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, they want to win. They want to win. Philly went to a Stanley Cup Finals in 2010. The Sabres have been nowhere near a Stanley Cup Finals an Eastern Conference Finals, an Eastern Conference Semifinals, an Eastern Conference Quarterfinals, for Pete's sake, for the last decade and a half. They want a winner in Buffalo. They have it in the Buffalo Bills, who are going to win the Super Bowl this year, by the way. Put your money on them. Get it on early, because the odds are going to slowly just shrink, shrink, shrink to even money. The Sabres want a winner. The fans, that's a hockey town. They want to have a winner there. They haven't had it in a long time. They thought they had it when they had Eichel. They brought in... Um, gosh, Skinner, they brought in Stahl, they brought in Ocposo, they were making a run for it, and then they stunk. This kid could make a difference in Buffalo. That's where I wish they go. I think he goes to Seattle. I don't care. I hope he makes a difference. I don't think he's going to be the next McDavid. I think this kid, I still don't buy into the small players. Is that just me being a big bigism where I'm just like, I, I just don't trust him? I don't know. I think he's going to get hurt. It will be interesting to see how um, transparent the tank efforts will get as the season goes on where guys start going on LTAR uh, or guys get traded or, you know, teams are obviously trying to lose where they, they would way rather have get Bedard and, you know, get the negative press now in order to get a guy that can completely change your franchise like that. Sort of like what we talked about earlier, what Chicago's done all summer with the moves they've made. It's pretty transparent what they're doing. So I, I wonder like how, how visible that will become over the course of a season. 
Well, I think it's already like I think San Jose is trying to tank. They're trying to get rid of everybody. They just can't. Nobody wants to take anybody. Yeah. Chicago's trying to trade Seth Jones for Pete's sake. They just signed him last year to a monster deal. So Chicago's shown their cards, but I think you'll see this as the season progresses, as we get a month into the season and teams just it hits them. It's like we're a bad team. We need to start losing. We need to start losing fast. We want the best odds for Connor Bedard. Teams will start to lose. They'll start to trade players. They'll start to yeah, LTIR, sending guys down to the minors, just losing. And there's a very artful way to go about it. Chicago is not doing it artfully. They're letting everybody know we're going to be bad this year. We didn't re-sign two high-end forwards. We're trading everybody. Everything must go. We're going for Bedard. Good for them. I, I think that's great. Why Why try to hide it? Why try to be a relevant team? Why try to be a mediocre team who, who sits around the 500 mark and you don't have – it does you nothing in the long run. Maybe it, it makes the fans happy for a year. It's like, oh, you know, we're still competing. We still want to win every game. If I'm a fan, I don't care. Tank. <laughs> tank, baby. Get a Connor Bedard. Then your franchise can turn around. Then you're, then you're set up for years of success. So – if I'm Connor Bedard, what I'm doing is I'm going on DoorDash. I'm listening to this podcast, which I know he does. Get on DoorDash, whether it's your phone, your app, your computer, your tablet, whatever. Smoke signals. I don't care. Get yourself some food. Get yourself some protein. Tim, still a protein diet. The guy looks like Brock Lesnar for Pete's sake. He's bust bulging out of everywhere. Of all the protein he gets from DoorDash. And guess what? If you use DoorDash, use our promo code, Connor. Gloves DD. If you're in Canada... And I know he is. Gloves DD US. If you're in the US of A, you get 25% off. You get free delivery. You can get grocery stores, DoorDash. You can get restaurants, DoorDash. You can go to a gas station, DoorDash. You can probably even do it for a farmer's market in the bigger cities. So you DoorDash, use our promo code, get yourself some food, get it while you want it. If you want it hot, you'll get it hot. You want it cold, you get it hot. Get it cold, bing, bang, boom, DoorDash at your door, and you get a discount. It's a win-win, Tim. Everybody's happy. And we're happy most off because we know you guys get some good, delicious food. DoorDash, everybody. Check it out now. What else are we talking about, Tim? Well, every summer, there's always teams that are or fan bases that are frustrated with their team, with the GM, with the direction the franchise is headed. It's always half the teams, half the teams are upset, half the teams are, are fine. There's one franchise that is particularly frustrated with the summer, with the action or lack of action and activity by their GM, by the team. And that's the New York Islanders for a team like two years ago, they were earmarked for a Stanley cup last year. They weren't even sniffing a playoff spot the entire season. And you'd think they would make some adjustments and try to like retool this and get back on the right track. And they haven't done a single thing this summer. They missed out on Gaudreau and Huberdeau, Kadri, Kachuk, like these superstars were all available. JT Miller is still out there and they haven't even, they missed out on all the pieces there, all the, the franchise altering, like getting back on track type moves. And the Islanders fans are very, very frustrated with Lou Lamorello. What do you see? Like, what's your take on this whole thing happening on the island? Well, it's what Lou Lamorello does. This is his MO. And I think people have been just clouded thinking this guy is a genius. He was inducted into Hockey Hall of Fame. He won those Stanley Cups with the New Jersey Devils. And then ever since then, people just, this guy can do nothing wrong. But you look at what he's done since those Stanley Cups. Every team he goes to, he just absolutely tanks. He drove the Devils into the ground after those Stanley Cups, goes to Toronto, a part of this brand-new regime, him and Brennan Shanahan. They're going to turn the whole city around. It's going to be fantastic. We bring in Mike Babcock. Just an epic failure. Epic. Goes to the New York Islanders, a very good team. Does absolutely nothing. Slowly drives this team into the dumpsters, where if you're looking at this franchise, you're like, where do we go? We have nobody in the prospects pool. We have no good young players. Everybody we have is old on a bad contract. And last year, by the way, we didn't make the playoffs because we were just garbage. And this is what he does to every team. So I think people are starting to wise up with Lou Lamorello. And it all came to a front this offseason when there were so many good free agents. He had his choice. He had a, a decent amount of money to, to choose. And he had all these players to pick from because not a lot of teams had a lot of cap space. And he did nothing. He didn't sign anybody, Tim. Not one player. Like, not one. Not one. Everybody thought he had these guys in his back pocket and he was going to release all the contracts like he did last year. Oh, we got a Parisi. We got a Palmieri. We got this. Nobody. Nobody's going to the New York Islanders. The fan base, rightfully so, is calling for his head. 
This guy has driven this franchise, a once promising franchise, went to two straight Eastern Conference finals. They're garbage. He's going to probably go out and re-sign Chara. He's going to re-sign <laughs> Andy Green. And then that'll be his big, big blowout of the offseason, bringing those two guys back. He has a historical fashion of just signing veterans, bringing them in, hoping to keep his culture. He's a very thumb-on-the-players type GM where he has – he wants things done his way, and he doesn't like young guys coming in who are flashy, who are fancy, who want to show off in his eyes and, and change his culture. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work these days. You can't win without having one or two or three young guys on a good contract to kind of buttress up the older guys who you have to pay. And it, I think everybody's just noticing it now. Lou Lamorello, he's too old. His, his way of thinking doesn't work for today's age as a GM. It just doesn't work going out, finding those veterans and just trying to milk the last few years of talent out of them. You can't build a team that way. And I think fans are seeing it. He doesn't get another job in the NHL. I'm surprised he still has a job with the Islanders. I think people just keep him around just because of his legacy, but I don't want to call it embarrassing, but it is you're a GM in the NHL. And when you look at, I saw someone wrote an article or, or tweeted out or something where his total signings for the New York Islanders for his whole tenure there, he signed Varlamov, bad contract. He signed Leo Komarov, had to buy him out. And then there was one lower-end guy who was up and down from the AHL to the NHL. Those three guys are the only three people he signed. His whole tenure. Yes, he's traded for a couple guys. But other than that, even the guys he's traded for, he's given up first-rounders. He doesn't have good success in the draft. He always trades his first-rounders. Can we say he's not a good GM? Is that okay to say? It's crazy because I'm looking at their roster from five years ago, and it's almost exactly the same, other than Tavares being gone. But, like, I don't know that any any lineup has changed less over this last several years in the Islanders. It's like the exact same group. The Barzal, Bailey, Lee, Bovillier, Nelson, Pulak, Pellick, Cutterbuck, Sezikis. Like, these guys were all here five years ago. And you probably did back even further than that. The big question I have looking at this roster, you're entering a contract season for Matthew Barzal. He's making $7 million right now. He is not really – he came onto the scene very hot his rookie year, and he's been pretty good. He was good in the playoffs for a stretch. 85 points his, his second year, really his rookie year. Um, but last couple of years, he's been pretty good. Like, he's a good player, but he hasn't touched 20 goals again. He hasn't touched even close to a point per game. Are we seeing the real Buzz Hall? Is, it, is this a factor of him just not getting surrounded by the right talent, maybe a little demotivated by, you know, the team's performance? Is he a legit? Is he the guy somewhere? Can he go and be a franchise player? Or is he more of like a, a secondary piece at this point? He's not a franchise guy. I don't, I don't think he's that guy. I think he he doesn't have enough skills in his tool belt to be a franchise guy. You know what I mean? He he's a burner. He can get up and down the ice. Like that's what he's really good at. I don't see him being as good as the other franchise players you see around the league. I don't think his playmaking ability is up to par. I, I don't think he's big enough to be a power forward. I don't think he's that good on the defensive end to be like a, a lockdown Patrice Bergeron type of player. I think he's a burner. He can get up and down the ice and he, he's got speed for days, but I don't, I don't think he is a franchise guy that I'm going to hitch my cart to and say, lead me to a Stanley cup. I think there's a few, a handful of those guys in the NHL. He's not one of them. He's still a great player, but I don't think, gosh, what's the number? that you'd give a Matthew Barzal. He's going to be a UFA this year. Like you said, he came out of the gates just on fire, but he's slowly but surely kind of come down to earth. What did, what are his stats look like, Tim, in his career? Give me his numbers. Let's try to let's try to figure out a good contract for this guy because he will get paid based on his reputation. But what do, what do his numbers look like? Yeah, his rookie year, 17-18, he had 22 goals, 85 points. And then uh, the next year, 82 games, 62 points, 68 games, 60 points, 55 games, 45 points. And last year, 73 games, 59 points. So basically, in the, in the except for his rookie year, he's a 60 to 65 point player. Good player. You need those guys. But he's not, he's borderline not a top line guy on, on half the teams in the league based on like the points he's putting up. And like you said, he doesn't pitch in a lot of other stuff. He's not like a liability out there, but he's not going to be a leading penalty killer. He's not going to be a leading shot blocker. He's just, he's a skill guy who doesn't have enough skill to be a, to be the, the number one player. Like you said. So yeah, he makes $7 million this year. So he will want to raise, 
that that's yep. how it works. Do you want to do you want to give this player eight million dollars for eight years? Because that's the term that he's going to want. He will want seven or eight years with the New York Islanders. Are you willing to, to just jeopardize your future? Because he's still young. He will be an RFA. I said he was going to be UFA. He's going to be an RFA next year. I don't know. This this is an interesting situation because the the recent RFAs we've seen, they are lights out, hands down, just franchise altering players. I don't think Barzal fits in that group. I really don't. Do I want to bet my whole future, my GM life on this guy? If I'm Lou Lamorello, no. But do you trade him? And what return will you get? It's such an interesting, I don't know. What do you do with him, Tim? Are the Islanders going to be a good team? Well, for the next five years, you know how players tend to have career seasons when they're entering a contract year, especially when they're up for a big payday. If he goes out and scores 35 and puts up 85 or 90 points, do you buy that? Would you say, okay, this this is his new, his new standard. This is his floor now. Or is that like, does that feel like an aberration at this point? I still think gotta, he's 25 I think he years can old. Be a like first he line could guy. be, yeah. I think he yeah. can be a first line guy. I think he can produce. If you put good wingers with him, like if you put him put him with Hyman and Kane, I think he he does sniff 70, 80 points. But like where, where he stands now, he's playing with Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. You know, like those are good players. They're not Matthews. They're not those types of players. So I, I just don't know. I don't know what to make of Matthew Barzal. He, he does have the talent. Gosh, I, I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I do think he's good, but I don't think, I don't think I'm giving him $8 million, Tim. I, I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be nervous too. Of all the, the players that you could hit your wagon to, he's not at the top of my list. The problem is not he's probably the only one who's going to be available. And if you're the Islanders fan, if you're the, if you're that franchise, do you want to lock him up now long term? Or, or do you let him walk? No. I want a whole reset this whole franchise. I want Bavillier, Nelson, Palmieri, Lee, Bailey, Parisi, Gabriel Pajot. I want Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, and Cal Clutterbuck. I want all of them gone. You're right. This whole roster has not changed at all in five, if not longer years. It's insane. Even the back end, Mayfield, Pellick, Pollock, these guys have been here forever. It, it, it's it's cr- The Tampa Bay Lightning have gone to three straight Stanley Cups. They have turnover every single year of five to six players. Every single year. And they're the best team in the NHL. Every team has turnover every single year. It's what you do. The fact that this team has had no turnover is either a testament to smart GM work where you sign these guys and and they're not going anywhere, or it's a testament to just we're lazy and we're not trying to make this team better. And we're just going with what we had. The definition of insanity. Everybody knows it. Trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different outcomes. This is what they're doing. Well, we're going to play the same team and we're going to assume they're going to, you know, build off of last year and they're going to be better. No. They're going to be bad next year. This is a bad roster right now. Bad contracts, and it's just it's getting worse. They're getting older. Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, and Cal Clutterbuck, they've been aligned. Matt Martin left and came back. They've been aligned for, I think, 12 years. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. I played against them when I played, and that was a long time ago. They've been aligned for a long time. So, I don't know. The Islanders, you got to get rid of Lou, and you just got to reset everything. I don't know how they're going to do it. They have a lot of guys who are signed to a lot of money for a lot of term. So good luck, Islanders fans, because you're in it. And they got a brand new arena to boot. You'd want exciting. You want fans to want to go to the rink. Would you <sighs> Would you put them in contention for the Bedard sweet stakes? Do you think they're in that group, or do you think they're better than those teams? No. No, I think they're too good to be in that sweepstakes. They, they will win, but then you look at the division they're in, and they have to play the Rangers. They have to play the Hurricanes. They have to play the Panthers. They have to play, they play good teams. So they'll be, you know, a bubble team in the playoffs, which what good does that make you? You, you make the playoffs and lose in the first round, maybe upset, lose in the second round. Who cares? Then you get a middle of the road draft pick, and then here we are again. Lou Lamarillo will trade that draft pick anyway, so it doesn't matter where you are in the first round. You're not going to have that pick. 
The part that fascinates me, we haven't talked about their goalies yet. They have two really good goalies, yeah. which is a luxury that they cannot afford. The fact that they, they didn't trade Varlamov at the deadline when they could have gotten like some good pieces. Like There were teams that needed goalies. What are you holding on to him for? Like If Sorokin's your guy for the future... He's a good. He's a good young goalie. He's twenty-seven, but he's good. He's under a good contract. You got two more years. Maybe hold on to him, even though he's worth more. But Varlamov, what are you holding on to him for? Like, what do you need two good goalies for if you're not even a competitive team at this point? It doesn't make any sense to me. And they both like they're both at decent contracts. Varlamov makes five. Sorokin makes four. So they're not paying him tons of money. But absolutely, especially this offseason when people were clamoring for goaltenders. Even to this day, teams need goaltenders. We, there are vacancies out there to fill. And it's just Lou Lamorello being stubborn. He's like, ah, I like the way I, I like my goaltender tandem. Got to have two good goaltenders. If you can ship Varlamov out, get $5 million off your cap, bring in a first rounder or prospects. Now you have almost $10 million to spend in free agency. Go for it, man. I just, uh, I don't know. No, but we, we, we got to sign Anders Lee and Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey. Oh, we got to trade for Palmieri and give up first rounders for him and sign him to a five-year, $25 million deal. Yeah, you nuts. You nuts, man. You're doing something wrong. So the New York New York Islanders, they need to reset everything, like I said. Time to go. All right, let's do some quick hits and get out of here. Yeah, quick hits brought to you by PointsBet. The first Ooh, one. Ooh, PointsBet. I love that. You alluded to it earlier. Phil Kessel has signed a deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. One year, $1.5 million. What was your quick reaction when you saw this news? Um, good signing for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. I think he fits in well there. I don't know where he he slots on their lineup. I really wanted them to go to Edmonton. I really, yeah. really did. I, I thought he was going to fit well there, but didn't make it happen. Goes to Vegas, and especially for such a low salary cap. I don't know why they didn't make that happen, but where does he slot in? Do you see him on the first line kicking Chandler Stevenson out of that spot? Now he's with Eichel and Stone, or is he going to be a third-line guy? Slot him in with like a Roy... Uh, maybe bump him up to a Marshall line with Carlson. I, I just don't know where he slots in on their lineup. Is he effective as a third and fourth line guy, or do you have to put a Phil Kessel on a playmaking role on the first and second line? Yeah, I think you do because like he doesn't play defense. He's not a two-way player. He doesn't hit. He doesn't block shots. He's he's He scores goals. That's what he does. And if you don't put him in a position to score goals – what is he going to do? So like, yeah. is he not really a top six player on a good team at this point of his career? It's more of a complimentary Michael Ryder type scorer. But if he, if he's not playing with other guys, they're going to help him score goals. Maybe he's just a, he's scoring 12, 15 goals and not moving the needle much for your team. So I think they hopefully will try to put him at least to start in a situation yeah. where like, maybe he could sort of take off or maybe he's still got some juice in the tank that, you know, people aren't, seeing uh it's hard to imagine that just given his age and his his body and all that but who knows who knows you could surprise some people i would love for him to go off and score another 30 goals again like that would be so fun so much fun to watch yeah i don't think the player he, he and he wasn't bad in arizona he wasn't bad he he put up some points even though he his shooting percentage last year was the worst of his career but he still was productive he put up points and to be honest it, it's hard to get up for a team that you know doesn't want to win. And he said it right when he signed with Vegas. He said, it's going to be nice playing on a team that wants to win. You know? So he he's, will be motivated going into Vegas, getting out of Arizona, where nobody likes playing Arizona. I played there. It was fun. And we had a good team. We were winning. We had no right winning. We were upsetting teams left and right and kind of just playing over our skis a little bit. But those guys the last few years in Arizona have just been bad. And it's tough to play in that city when you go to the rink and there's no fans at the rink. And the only fans that go are visiting fans. And now looking at the rink that you're going to have to play into. So he'll be excited to go to Vegas. The fan base will be excited. He will get a chance. I think they're going to slot him in on the second line, put him with Carlson and Marshall to start, like you said, and see what happens. Wouldn't surprise me if he puts up 25, 30 goals. He's good. It reminds me a little bit of uh, James Neal, where he's like a, a one-way player. He does one thing really, really well, and then all of a sudden he can just do nothing for two years, and then you put him in the right spot in the right spark with some chemistry there, and he'll go off for 30 goals again out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he's the, the, the same age, and J- Neal's did that a couple of years ago with, with Vegas in that first expansion year. And, yeah, I could see Kessel exploding in a similar way. The opportunity's there. He will get some ice time. I like it. $1.5 million. Good signing. Very, very, uh, very happy for Phil. Very happy. He's I'm going to text him again. <laughs> yeah, the the one-sided text thread with me and Phil Kessel, I should post it 
on Twitter. This is just to show everybody <laughs> all of my little semi paragraphs. I send them every few years. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I think it's funny at this point. So I just do it for laughs. I'm like, Phil, great, great talking to you. I'm glad you're doing well. I hope you and the family are doing love to have you on the show. And it's, yeah. he did respond once. So I know it's his number, but it's just funny. Good yeah, for folks. All right. Hey, Phil, moving you, on. See the, you see the new Top Gun movie? What'd you think? <laughs> all right. Um, the, the beauty league wrapped up this week. And congratulations to TRIA or TRIA, the team TRIA, for winning the John Scott Cup. I know you were super involved with this whole thing. And a couple of good guys on that team. Eric Stahl's on that team, Jason Zucker, Nate Schmidt. And it said Ryan McDonough was on, on that roster in paper. He wasn't in that championship photo. Maybe he ditched, but pretty cool. Good for them. And uh, you got to get back up there, John. I know they'd love to have you up there. Yeah, if if you can get me a private jet, I'd love to. It just, I will. I will eventually. I was there a couple of years back, but it's it's... Long overdue. Yeah, congrats to Tria Orthopedic Center. I had surgery there for my nose, gosh, 10 years ago now. But good, good, good guys, good people. Congrats, Eric, Eric Stahl, Jason Zucker. There was a nice fight there, actually, the last game. I think Teddy Bluger got into it with a kid from Finland. They were throwing pretty heavy fights there. Don't usually see that. Don't usually see that in the offseason. But I guess Teddy had like seven points. They're up 12 to three. And this kid from Finland just said he had had enough. He's like, enough is enough, Teddy. I'm taking you out. Couple good punches thrown. There was some blood, but it was a good thing. Good, good, uh, good league in the summer. I think that is the best league to skate at in the summer for NHL caliber talent. They get six teams, and each team has at least six to ten guys who are in the NHL actively. And then you'll get good college guys, good high school talent. I mentioned like Brock Besser, I skated with all these young guys. Uh, who else is the guy in Pittsburgh? Uh, Jake Gensel. I remember skating yeah. with him when he was in high school and college. So there's always good young talent. But anyways, if you're in Minnesota, check it out. It's at Bramer Arena. It's done now. Congrats to Tria for winning the John Scott Cup. And congrats they still to guys. What your photos and your headshot all over their website. It's everywhere. I don't get any money for that. You believe that? Not a Unbelievable. Dime. People are making so much money off my back. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, everybody. Enough is enough. I got to go wrangle the animals outside. I can hear them swarming. It's time to go get some lunch going. But thanks for listening. I appreciate the support. Tim, you got anything else? No. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thank you. Absolutely. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.